If you're visiting with us in the evening service, we often go through uh, one of our documents that summarize what we confess, and this one is called the Heidelberg Catechism. It has three sections. The first one is a reminder of the guilt that we have before God, revealing our sin and our need for Christ. Uh, the second section expounds the grace of God in Jesus Christ and how that is applied to us. And then this third section teaches us how we live in gratitude to God in light of that grace that we have received. And so Lord's Day 32, uh, we'll hit that, and that's going to be our focus. And we'll read together uh, Lord's Day 32, uh, question answer 86 and 87. I'll say the question if we could say together the answer. So the question is, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, and that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ." Question answer 87. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. Truth? Oh, that was it. Sorry, I started to read the next portion there. To see this in God's word, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. And if you remember this morning, we actually hit that uh, portion of the catechism that was quoting from 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, but tonight we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 5 and consider what it means to walk in good works before the Lord. You find 1 John towards the end of the New Testament. We'll read the first five verses, and this will be our focus as we connect it with Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32. It's good to read and to consider what we believe as Christians as we read summaries of the Word of God, like the Heidelberg Catechism, but, but what we read now is of a different quality. This is the very Word of God. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of it. The Word of God says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, it's been said that Christianity is the only true singing religion. And that's what we consider this morning from Psalm 95. We're reminded as we sing that we have so much to sing about as Christians, so many things to rejoice in as believers. And we could spend our time singing about and thinking about and rejoicing in all of those benefits that flow to us because of Jesus Christ. 
But that grace that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ has led to questions like Heidelberg Catechism question answer 86. If all of this is true, that we are saved through Jesus alone and that we have life before God in Jesus alone, why must we still do good? Why must we still do good works? Or you might think of the objections the Apostle Paul dealt with in places like Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Or later in chapter 6, verse 15, what then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? How are we to answer questions like this? Well, as we open the Heidelberg Catechism into this new section, this gratitude section, and as we look at 1 John 5, uh, we want to think about the relationship between true saving faith in Jesus and good works. And we want to think about how the believer actually gains a new relationship to God's law because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll see in 1 John 5 that believers are enabled and empowered to walk in good works before the Lord because God in Jesus Christ has given us new life. He's given us a new love. And he's given us a new relationship to God's law. Those are our three points from 1 John 5. We have new life, new love, and a new relationship to God's law. First, we see new life in verse 1. Notice, again, the word of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We just confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism that Christ has not only redeemed us by his blood— but he is also renewing us by the Holy Spirit. This new life that we speak about by the Spirit of God is essential for our Christian living because in our natural state, we might say in the first Adam, we are those who are dead in our sins. What do spiritually dead people need from the Lord? We don't just need some tips for better Christian living. We don't just need some kind of spiritual makeover. But we need to be made alive from the inside out. This is what God does in what we call the new birth. Sometimes in theological terms it's called regeneration. By the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to a spiritually dead heart and he comes and he raises that person to newness of life. This is what we read about in places like Ephesians 2, verse 1 and following. Paul says to the church, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This new birth is a miracle of God. Our God today is still working miracles. And this is one of the primary miracles that he continues to work, bringing about new life in spiritually dead people. That God, by the power of the gospel, comes to us just like Jesus came to Lazarus, who was in the tomb for four days, and he says to us through the gospel, come out of that grave. He gives us newness of life. And in this Text, we see that first John 5, and that phrase, born of God, 
is in what's called the perfect tense, showing that there is a past event that has happened that has continuing effects, that this person at one point was born of God, and now they continue to walk as those alive to God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, desirous to praise God and to walk in his ways, it's because you have been born of God. Our faith doesn't compel God to make us alive. It's the other way around. God makes us alive so that we can hold fast to Jesus and walk in newness of life. In theology, it's sometimes said like this, regeneration precedes faith. Being born of God leads us to trust and to hold fast to Jesus Christ. And this is important, again, because those who are dead in their trespasses and sins cannot please God. They cannot walk in truly good works before God. Romans 8, verse 7 says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, those who are made new in Jesus are now alive to God. And so they're alive to his word. And by the spirit of God, they are enabled to start to bring forth the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And 1 John is a beautiful letter that shows us this. 1 John talks all about how being born of God leads us to new living before the Lord. Just consider a few texts. 1 John 2:29. He says, "Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God." 1 John 3 verse 9, "Those born of God cannot go on making a practice of sinning. 1 John 4, verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God. Jesus says it like this in other places about how a good tree brings forth good fruit and bad trees bring forth bad bad fruit, right? Apple trees don't produce oranges and orange trees don't produce apples. Likewise, Unless one is born of God, he cannot produce the fruits that please the Lord. But thanks be to God, beloved, a believer is made alive and connected to Jesus Christ, the vine. And the very life of Jesus is imparted to that believer connected to the vine so that they, by his power, begin to bear the fruit that is pleasing to God. Therefore, the first reason we can do good works is because we have been born of God through the gospel of Christ. We've been united to Jesus, that life-giving vine who gives us life. The Lord who spoke all things into existence in Genesis 1 and 2, by the power of his word, has spoken new life into our dead hearts by the gospel of Christ, a miracle even greater than the creation Second Corinthians four, Paul says it like this for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So in this text, we see that we are given new life. But notice intimately connected with that is our second point, how this new life leads to a new love. Verse two, a new love. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. 
Again, prior to God's grace at work in our lives, when we were dead in our sins, we loved our sins. And God, when he opened our hearts, he he gave us new desires and desires that he would begin to cultivate throughout our entire life. He enabled us to begin to hate our sins and to begin to love the things that he loves and to delight in the things that are pleasing to him. Ezekiel 36 puts it like this in verse 26 and 27. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And what are some of these statutes God causes us to walk in? Well, John says there's two things here. First, we begin to love the people of God. And this is his argument throughout the the first letter of John. If the father sent his son in love, and if the son willingly laid down his life in love, and if the spirit who indwells us unites us to the God who is love, then it makes sense that those who are joined to God love those other brothers and sisters who are born of God. That's what John says here. Those who love the father love his children as well. You know, I've seen bumper stickers, maybe you have too, that say things like this. I love Jesus. It's his followers I can't stand. And that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? We might sympathize with that. We know how difficult it is if we've been part of a church for any length of time, how hard it is to actually love brothers and sisters sometimes, right? The church of Jesus is not a club of like-minded individuals who agree on every issue under the sun, but sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. The church is a family that Jesus has created by his gospel, and it's a family of brothers and sisters that he has picked for us, people that he calls us to bear with in love. And we cannot give up on the family of God, the church of Jesus, because Jesus doesn't give up on his bride, even with all of her imperfections. In fact, real Christian love in the church takes place when we love people who are difficult to love. I appreciate how Calvin put it. He says, there is never true love for God when our brothers and sisters are not also loved. In this new love God gives us, he gives us a love for the family of God, John says. And notice the second thing he gives us a love for. He gives us a love for the commandments of God. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Love and law are not contrary to one another. Some people say today that they don't need God's word to govern their lives because all that God requires them to do is love. But what does love for God look like? Paul says in Romans 13, love is the fulfillment of God's law. Jesus said, by keeping his commandments, we actually abide in his love and in the Father's love. And this is for our joy, John 14. Of course, the lie of sin is that apart from God and apart from his commandments, we will find joy. We will find satisfaction. And we know as Christians, this is a lie because when we go that route of sin, God in his discipline, as we heard last week, allows us to taste the consequences of sin. And we feel its emptiness. We feel rotten inside when we walk contrary to God's law. But when God makes us alive, 
he gives us a new love for his law. And we desire to walk in it. We desire to wage war against that flesh inside of us that keeps us from following Jesus Christ. And even as we struggle with that old self week by week, we find comfort in words like this from Romans 7 in Paul's own struggle. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, beloved, this love for one another and this love for God's law can only come to those who are made alive by God. Only those who have been made alive by God can begin to walk in those good works that are truly pleasing in God's sight, walking in faith, walking in obedience to God's word and walking in those things that are done for his glory. As we show forth the fruit of faith in our life, walking in good works, this actually encourages us in our faith. As we confessed in our catechism, we do good works for one of the reasons that we might be assured of our faith by its fruits. Our good works is not the primary ground of Christian assurance. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusting in that. But our good works has one um, aspect of strengthening our assurance that we are children of God. Because even as we begin to see the small beginnings of the Spirit working in our lives, it encourages us because we see the good work that God has begun. And we know that if God has begun a good work, even if it's small, he's going to bring it to completion. And so it gives us some assurance. And so we see why it is we could walk in these good works that God is calling us to. We've been given new life. We've been given a new love. And finally, in a little bit more time, we see here, we've been given a new relationship to God's law, verses 3 and 5. Notice once again, this is the love of God, to obey his commands. And notice this, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, that's a verse that might rub us the wrong way, because sometimes it's hard to be a Christian. Sometimes following God feels burdensome. How can the Apostle John say things like this? God's commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not work. Has God changed in his holiness in the New Testament? Has God somehow just lessened the standards for us in the new covenant? Is he grading on a curve now? No, God cannot change in his holiness. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's standards remain always the same. He demands of all creatures perfect, perpetual, and personal obedience to all of his commands. But consider the difference between those who are under what we call the law as a covenant of works and those who receive the law from the hands of Christ. Put on your theological thinking caps for this one. Uh, When God revealed his will to Adam in the garden, Adam was created in what's called a covenant of works. There were blessings if Adam was faithful to God and there was actually a curse. Adam, if you eat of that tree, you will die. Moreover, for Israel in their setup as well, there was a bit of an echo of that original setup with Adam Even though that covenant God made with Moses flowed from God's grace, when the people received the law from Moses at Mount Sinai, 
they responded to the law saying, all of this we will do. But if you know the history of God's people, you remember the law became a heavy reminder for them that they just could not fulfill the things God required. They sinned against God. They were exiled out of the land. In Adam's failures, in Israel's failures, we see ourselves. We see our faithlessness to God. And so what's our hope? Well, Galatians 4, verse 4 says this. And hear this verse in light of what was just said. Paul writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he was born under the law in such a way that he fulfilled the law for righteousness on behalf of all who would trust in him. And not only that, when Jesus went to the cross, he was treated at the cross as a lawbreaker because our unrighteousness and sin was laid upon his shoulders. And this is so that we might enter into what is called a covenant of grace before God. The condition of that is faith in Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean for us in regards to practical Christian living? Well, as believers in Jesus, we receive all of God's laws in light of his victory. God's standards do not change in the New Testament. Thanks be to God, we receive the law not from the foot of Mount Sinai, from the hands of Moses saying, do this and you will live. But we receive the law from Mount Zion, from the hands of Jesus, who says to us, live because of me, and therefore do this. Do you see that most important difference? This is why Paul can say in Romans 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, or as a covenant of works for all who believe. And so as we keep our eyes fixed on the love of God displayed in Jesus, we're enabled to walk in God's ways in true gospel freedom. Listen to how one Puritan put it by the name of Thomas Boston. He says it like this. The freeness of our obedience is of very different degrees. And a believer's obedience is never absolutely free till it is absolutely perfect in heaven. But the freeness of our obedience will always bear proportion to the measure of their faith, which is never perfect in this life. Thus, the more faith, the more freeness of our obedience, the less faith, the less of that freeness. The the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, invites us to himself when we are burdened and heavy laden by our sins, feeling like we are crushed by God's law. Again, he says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Notice, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The more we survey the wondrous cross, where the Prince of Glory died for us, the more we will want to live in thankfulness and in true gospel freedom. 
as John says here, right now, our faith, it connects us with our risen Savior who enables us to live for his glory and to even overcome the world, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In Hebrews 11, you see how faith in our living connects us with our Savior who enables us to do all things for God's glory. In Hebrews 11, in that great hall of faith, we read things like this. Hebrews 11, verse 30, By the faith, the walls of Jericho came down. We read in Hebrews 11, By faith, Gideon gave Israel victory over the Midianites with an army of 300 men. We read, By faith, Samson became a one-man army against the Philistines. And at the end of his life, he brought down the temple of Dagon. We read, by faith, people like Daniel stopped the mouth of lions. By faith, people like Joshua, David, and Solomon subdued kingdoms. See, by faith in our living, God allows us to overcome obstacles, endure hardship, and face challenges, not with confidence in ourselves, but with confidence in our God. Faith is the instrument that connects us with our Savior who can do all things and who enables us to walk in those good works that are pleasing to him. In conclusion, beloved, you may be thinking, well, I may be a new creation in Christ. I may be a follower of Jesus, but I know I'm still a sinner. How can my good works be anything pleasing to God? Beloved, if you have Christ as your Lord, and if you share in his victory, then your beloved Savior Jesus makes your imperfect and your weak efforts acceptable before the Father. Again, quoting from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, verse, uh, chapter 16, section 16. I love this. It says, Believers are accepted through Christ. And their good works are also accepted by God, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, that is God, looks upon them in his Son and is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Isn't that good news? What a gracious God we serve. Gracious not only to save us from the very judgment of God, but gracious, beloved, today and this week to accept and to reward our sincere efforts done in Jesus' name as we strive to live for his glory, even when those efforts still have our weakness and our imperfections. They're made beautiful in the Father's sight, through the beloved Son. Because of the blood of Christ, all of those filthy spots that would taint our good works are wiped away in the sight of God. And so what a motivation we have today and this week to continue on in our Christian faith. Indeed, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, beloved, today and this week, may we lift our eyes to our victorious Savior in heaven, for he has given to us new life, new love, and a new relationship 
to his holy law. With Paul again we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, our gracious Father in heaven, we...